beginning of this millennium, the Christian research group, Barna, filed a report that surveyed professing to be born-again Christians and um, came up with just a few of these facts that I'll share with you about their survey group among professing born-again Christians. Only 9% tithe to their church. Uh, Of 12,000 teenagers polled who took a pledge to wait for marriage to have sex, 80% would go on to have sex outside of marriage in the next seven years. 26% of those uh, professing born-again Christians who are polled do not think premarital sex is wrong. And professing white born-again Christians are more likely than Catholics and liberal Protestants to object to having black neighbors. Those are just a few of the things that that came uh, out of this research. Um, In other words, you could say, put another way, Barna discovered there seemed to be little difference between the so-called born-again church and the world. There was little to no transformation in some of these depressing, depressing statistics. I want to suggest to you, though, what is an error in this survey was Barna's use of this broad category of calling people born again. Because the New Testament would not afford them necessarily that privilege. Now please don't misunderstand me. I am not saying that someone who is born again cannot do any of these things here. But I will say that someone who is born again will repent of these things. What was wrong here is that this is a way of life. Perhaps you agree with me with that statement I just made. Perhaps you would say, well, yeah, those people do not sound like Jesus Christ is at the center of their life and they have been given new hearts. Uh, Let me now describe to you the definition that Barna gave that those who classify themselves as born again agreed to. All right. Quote. Born-again Christians were defined in these surveys as people who said that they have made a personal commitment to Jesus that is still important in their life today, and who also indicated they believe that when they die, they will go to heaven because they have confessed their sins and accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. Respondents were not asked to describe themselves as born-again, in other words, That was voluntarily. Being classified as born again is not dependent upon church and denominational affiliation or involvement. In other words, we could say again, if we summarize their description of being born again, where people who said that they have made a personal commitment to Jesus that is still important in their life today, and who also said that they believe that when they die, they will go to heaven because they have confessed their sins and accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. So we could say that according to Barna, their understanding of being born again was given to people who said certain things. Now, probably what their research showed more than anything else is that people have no idea what being born again means. And many of them who thought they do probably are not. Born again. So many descriptions come to mind. 
It's described of an actress who seemed to have faded from view and now is back in the limelight and her career is in the upspring that she has been born again in her, in her acting career. A business that seemed to fade from view and is now on the upswing has been born again. In the 70s, that term, a born-again Christian, was very popular. But I tell you, we must understand one thing. One thing. That being born again is not true because you profess it with your mouth. No. Being born again is the supernatural work of God in the soul by which the Holy Spirit imparts new life to the spiritually formerly dead. To a spiritual cadaver. You see, being born again is not something that is an optional thing that we can add on in the Christian life. No, being born again is absolutely essential. But here is the truth about being born again. You cannot make yourself be born again. It is the work of God. It is a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. And I want to tell you, that is a frightening thing because of verses like John 3.36 at the end of this chapter that we'll be looking at. That talks about the wrath of God abiding on those who are not. That helps put being born again and the truth of the new birth in perspective. Because without the new birth, there is no reprieve from the wrath of God. John writes a letter a little bit later in his life called 1 John. And he shares some verses here, and he describes the effects of the new birth. And John does so from the perspective that someone who has a new heart has a radically new disposition. They have a new nature. They have a new constitution. They have a new engine. There is something that is different about their perspective. And this new heart, this new life, does not habitually reside in sin patterns but has been changed. Look how John describes the new birth in some of these verses. I'll just flash up here on the screen. If ye know that he is righteous, ye, Jesus, ye know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. Notice the connection between an action doeth righteousness and being born of God. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Now please don't understand that that means that you can never sin if you are born again. 1 John 1, 7-9 explains to us that no, we do sin as believers. We will never reach perfection till we cross that threshold of eternity. And as such, we need to be a people of confession. People of repentance. But what he is saying here, as I understand it here, is whoever is born of God does not habitually remain in sin. There is conviction through the Holy Spirit. There is new life. He has the, 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 the DNA of the divine nature in him. Because he is born of God. Beloved, let us love one another for love is of God. And everyone that loveth, in the way that God loves, is born of God and knoweth God. For whatsoever or whosoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. 
In other words, the temptations, the struggles, the, the, the beckonings of the world can be overcome by one who is born of God. In fact, Jesus, John says it in another passage. He says, uh, if any man love the world, loves the world system, loves all the things that the world blasts out at us as the things that should, uh, are, are, are fundamental to our identity, John says, the love of the Father is not in him. Born of God. It is so crucial. It's so important. And 1 John 5.18 says, We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, but that he that is begotten of God, born of God, keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. In other words, there is a new relationship to sin. That is true of someone who has a new relationship to God. Someone who is born of God. Born from above. That has experienced a new birth. But what does all these things mean? Well, there is stark contrast here. I hope you've seen. Stark contrast. These are some of the effects of the new birth in John's little letter. There is something that is very different from what we just heard from the Barna group. You see, it is not that the church is permeated with born-again people who are worldly, who love the world. No. It is that the church is permeated by so many people who are not born again. Who do not have new life in Christ. In other words, they are what the Bible would say is unregenerated. And in America, probably more than any other country... We have millions of churchgoers who are not regenerated. And therefore, it's important this morning that we study the new, the new birth because eternity hangs in the balance. Eternity hangs in the balance. Born again. The new birth. A new heart. New life. Or regeneration, as it's called in the verses that we read together, Titus 3, verse 5, is the one-time act of God in which He imparts new spiritual life to His children. It is totally a work of God. You cannot bring new life to yourself. Listen to John chapter 1, verse 13. After verse 12, that famous verse where He gives them the authority, gives those who receive Him the authority, uh, who believe on His name, to become the sons of God. John says this, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Children born of God. It's what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 5. Paul says, Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened, hath brought to life, hath made us alive together with Christ, by grace ye are saved. It's the work that Colossians chapter 2.13 says, And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. 
James puts it this way in James chapter 1 and verse 17 and 18. James says, Every good and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of His own will begat He us with the word of truth. Of His own will He made us born again, born of God, with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of His creatures. And it's what Peter can say in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, or verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a living hope. Hath begotten us. Hath made us born again unto a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This morning I want to answer the, try to answer the question, how does it happen? How does it happen? So back in John chapter 3, we were so ably taught last week by Brother Preen, who introduced us to some of the background of Nicodemus, who seems to be the teacher of Israel, one of the premier Bible teachers in the whole nation of Israel, who meets with Jesus. And he says, Rabbi, in verse 2, We know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Nicodemus was from a group of the religious rulers called the Sanhedrin. It would be like being a senator of the United States. He was one of the elite. And he basically is saying to Jesus in verse 2, Jesus, here's an opening into our club. We know there's something special about you. You can do these things. But prove that you're from God. But it wasn't enough. Because in verse 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Truly, truly, or verily, verily, I assure you, except a man be born again, he cannot say the kingdom of God. In other words, thanks but no thanks, Nicodemus, for your invitation. But I want to invite you into the kingdom of God. But you need to know first that you cannot come into the kingdom of God. You cannot see the kingdom of God. You cannot see the saving reign of God until you are born again. Nicodemus, of course, struggles with that. He says, how can I be born again when I'm old? Can, can, I, can I start over fresh here? Can I, can I start with a clean slate? Obviously I can't. And so he was perplexed about that. And Jesus says in verse 5, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, verily, verily, I assure you, I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now Jesus tells us how a man is born again. He's told us the stakes here. Except a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now he tells us the stakes. And the means, except the man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. He says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. In other words, your physical birth created you this physical person. But we're talking about something in a whole different realm. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit or spiritual. And he says, marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. Don't make this unbelievable. Because you know already how hard it is for you to turn over a new leaf. You know you can't go back and change the past. 
The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. In other words, the Spirit does what He pleases, what He wishes. And one of the things He wishes is to give the new birth. And just like you can tell, you can't see the wind, but you can see the effects of the wind. So it is for someone who has been born of the Spirit. It's a miracle. It's a mystery of how the Holy Spirit regenerates and gives new life, new birth. But you can see the effects thereof. Nicodemus answered and said to them, How can these things be? And Jesus, in verse 10, says, Art thou a master or a teacher of Israel, and knowest not these things? Well, I want you to see this morning that God causes new life. God causes new life. You may notice the passive sense of the descriptions of the new birth. Except a man be born again. Jesus' words in verse 5, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit. Verse 6, That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is, which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. You know, the new birth is not something we can muster up. It is not something that we can do by pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps, by having new resolutions. It is not by turning over a new leaf or deciding we are going to change ourselves. No, the new birth is not something we can do to ourselves. Just as you did not cause your physical conception and your birth, you cannot cause the new birth. God, the Holy Spirit, must come into you and bring new life into existence, something you could never do. You see, the new birth is receiving supernatural life personally. This man, Nicodemus, confesses that Jesus is a, is a ruler, uh, is a great teacher, and, and he is sent from God. could do that in his own flesh. Did you know that? He could acknowledge that Jesus was sent from God without ever having been born again. In Luke 8.28, when Jesus casts out a demon, Jonathan Edwards writes this about that demon. The devil once seemed to be religious from fear of torment. Luke 8.28, when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and with a loud voice said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God Most High? I beseech thee, torment me not. Jonathan Edwards writes, Here is external worship. The devil is religious, he prays. He prays in a humble posture, he falls down before Christ. He lies prostrate. He prays earnestly. He cries with a loud voice. He uses humble expressions. I beseech thee, torment me not. He uses respectful, honorable, adoring expressions. Jesus, thou Son of God Most High. Nothing was lacking but love. He did not love Jesus. And that is the mystery of the new birth. The new birth causes us to love Jesus. So the new birth is receiving new life imparted supernaturally through the Holy Spirit. All of us have physical life. We're here this morning. We're not in a grave somewhere. But not everybody has spiritual life. 
If we do not have life from the Spirit, we as Nicodemus will not see the kingdom of God, but perish eternally. But you might ask yourself, if the new birth is receiving new life, what life do we receive? Well, some of you may answer eternal life, and that's true. But what is eternal life? A life that somebody who experiences the new birth that they receive is the life of Jesus. The life of Jesus. Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and I am the life. No man cometh unto the Father but through me. And 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 and 12, John later on in his, in his epistle says this. 1 John 5, 11 and 12. This is the record that God has given to us eternal life. So there's part of our answer. But he's going to explain what that life is. And this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. That's the kind of life the Spirit gives. The life of Jesus. This life uh, of Jesus comes through the Spirit. Jesus says in John chapter 6, uh, verse 63, He says, It is the Spirit that brings life, or that quickeneth, or makes alive. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are Spirit, and they are life. The Spirit brings the life of God. That's why Jesus says in John chapter 3, verse 5, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. The Spirit connects us to the life of the Son of God. At the end of John, in describing his purpose for this book, John says in John chapter 20, verse 31, But these are written, that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through His name. And Jesus in John chapter 15, 1 through 17, tells us that the only way anybody can have life is through Jesus. Jesus is the vine, we are the branches. The Spirit is like the sap delivering the life of the vine to the branches. So this new life is a new creation. It's not an improvement. It's not an add-on. It is a new nature. It is a new constitution. It is a new heart installed by the very Spirit of God. John chapter 3 and verse 5. Jesus, again, says, except the man be born of water and of the Spirit. Water. Water. So how does the new birth happen? Jesus says it happens by man being born of water and the Spirit. So what is being born of water? Well, some have said that that means baptism. Water baptism. We can see already, uh, uh, probably, you're, you're well taught enough to know that there is a problem with that because water baptism does not save anybody. Plus... This water baptism must not be something that a Jewish religious teacher would have said, oh, okay, yeah, water baptism. No. That one's easily crossed off the list. Some have said, and this is a possibility, that Jesus could be referring to John's baptism of repentance. 
So talking about that actual baptism of John, where one went into the water and came out as a symbol of their repentance. Again, I think you're treading on thin ice there. Some have said that uh, this water uh, that, that Jesus says is being born of water and of the Spirit, the water is your physical birth. You come, you, you, you're born, and, you, and, that, and then water breaks, right, before you're born. And then the contractions start, and you know, you're on your way out. So, Jesus is saying you have to be physically alive, and then spiritually alive to enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, that's a little redundant. I mean, Jesus is talking to a man who's living. He doesn't need to remind him that this man is physically alive. And so, Jesus is not saying if you're physically alive, and you're spiritually alive, born of the Spirit... Then you can enter the kingdom of heaven. To me, that seems to create more questions than than answers. But we do have a little clue. Because in John chapter 3 and verse 10, Jesus says, Are you a teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? Well, what would a teacher of Israel have been assumed to understand and know? The Old Testament. So if you'll turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 31... Jeremiah chapter 31, and then we'll go to Ezekiel, but Jeremiah chapter 31. Jesus here is opening up a dimension that Nicodemus should have known about. In Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34, Jesus talks about a new covenant he would make with Israel. And he says in Jeremiah 31, 31, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, Moses' covenant, which my covenant they break, although I was an husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts, rather than outward tables of stone, write it in their hearts, and will be their God, and they shall be my people." And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Now, if you can take that text and use that as a platform to understand where we're going next in Ezekiel chapter 36. Jesus here is talking about the new covenant, being born of water and the Spirit. And in Ezekiel 36, I think we'll see more clearly what Jesus is talking about with being born of water. Ezekiel 36. Now, in Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 24 through 28, uh, Ezekiel here is talking about what God will do to the nation of Judah when He brings them back from exile in the Babylon. And He says this, For I will take you from among the heathen, there's the return from exile, and gather you out of all countries and will bring you into your own land. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you and ye shall be clean. From all your filthiness and from all your idols, which I cleanse you, from all the things you have substituted as worship, a new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and ye shall keep my judgments and do them. And ye shall dwell in the land that I gave your fathers, and ye shall be my people, and I will be your God. But notice again, verse 25. 
Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and ye shall be clean from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Will I cleanse you? Friends, this is what we need to understand. Being born again is receiving new life through supernatural cleansing. You see, there is a cleansing of the old heart, and there is a creation of the new heart. This is the new birth. This is regeneration. We need cleansing of the old because the old part of us in our past needs cleansing or forgiveness. My guilt and my rebellion must be washed away. It must be forgiven. It must be cleansed. Jeremiah uh, chapter 33 and verse 8 says this, And I will cleanse them from all their iniquity whereby they have sinned against me. And I will pardon all their iniquities whereby they have sinned and whereby they have transgressed against me. Speaking again of that new covenant. Titus in chapter 3 verse 5 says, Not by works of righteousness, not by good works that we have done. But according to His mercy He saved us. And how did He do that? How did He rescue us? By the washing of regeneration. Renewing of the Holy Spirit. The washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. The washing of regeneration, the supernatural cleansing. You see, the new birth, the first aspect is this. I need a new cleansing. I need the old part of me, the guilt, cleansed. That's the new birth. I can't cleanse it. I just make it messier. I just rub more dirt into it. I need the Holy Spirit to do that to me. I cannot do it. I can repent. I cannot change my heart. I need new cleansing. So that is the first aspect of how the new birth happens. But Jesus also says... Born of water and the Spirit. Born of water and the Spirit. You see, that cleansing is not enough. It's not enough to be clean now. I also need a new nature so I don't destroy that again. I need a new heart. I need a new birth. I need to be born again. I need to be made alive. I need to be regenerated. You see, my old heart was a heart that was stone cold dead to God. Yeah, I'm living. But spiritually, before God, I am as dead as, as the corpses you would see in a cemetery. I am unfeeling. I am always bored about God. I am unfeeling toward the beauty and holiness of the life of God. This old heart, this stony heart, desired lots of things. One thing it did not desire was a relationship with God. It got pretty excited about comfort. My heart got pretty excited about the world. It got pretty excited about pleasing myself. But it was not at all excited about the life of Jesus in me. It was not at all excited about God's honor and glory. And that stony heart became that stone that was weighing me down to hell. And God could have justly cast me in the ocean of His anger for my selfish rebellion against Him. And I would have sunk quickly to the bottom with that heart of stone in me. Folks, here's the other part of the good news of the new birth. You see, the writer here, Ezekiel, says, A new heart also will I give you. And a new spirit will I put within you. Those are two ways of saying the same thing. 
That's Hebrew synonymous parallelism. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh, a soft heart. So here's the good news. In the new birth, the Spirit of God puts me on His operating table. And He does what only He can do, what I could never do. He performs heart surgery. He takes out that heart of stone that was weighing me down to perish eternally. That wants nothing to do with God and His ways. And He puts in a heart that is pumping and alive and tender and pulsing and beating with the life of Jesus. It's called the Holy Spirit. A heart that is tender and soft and living and is responsive to the beauty of Christ and the path to holiness. A heart that is gripped with the supremacy of Jesus and the weight of His glory and His fame. A heart that beats for that. And this new nature is the Spirit of God living inside of you. That Jesus says in John chapter 7, flows the river of the life of Christ through you, through the Spirit. It shapes and molds our lives to the glory of God and His ways. It puts new desires in. It changes from loving ourselves to loving God. And the capacity now where we never could before of our whole heart. Because it's a new heart. And loving His image bearers as well, unselfishly. There's a real effect now because there's a real change. Beloved, if you have been born again, the Holy Spirit has cleansed your old heart. And He has taken out the stony heart and put in a fresh beating heart for that beats for the passion of Jesus Christ. You have a renewed relationship with God. And therefore you have a new relationship with sin. You have, the Colossians says, been translated now into the kingdom of God. Away from the power of the kingdom of darkness. That is what happens in the new birth. You have received new life through supernatural cleansing. Cleansing that you could never do. And you have received new life through a supernatural transplanting. Jesus did many miracles. He made a blind man see. But the new birth of making spiritually blind men see is more miraculous. Jesus raised Lazarus as a corpse from the dead to life. But the miracle of Jesus taking my spiritually stony, cold, dead heart and raising that to live in Jesus is a greater miracle than that. Jesus healed men who had leprosy. Their outward was falling off of them, literally decaying. And Jesus takes a heart that was stony and He puts a new one in and He cleanses and transplants that. That is the greatest miracle of all. And friends, the greatest apologetic to a watching world who questions Jesus Christ is your life. Your greatest apologetic to the watching world is not to go to archaeology and prove that this and this happened so the Bible must be true. Those those are wonderful things. The greatest apologetic to the watching world is that you have been given new birth and you have a new fundamental disposition. And Jesus Christ lives in you. This is what happens in the new birth. Born from above, 
Born again. Born of the Spirit. Paul says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation is the word. A new creation. The psalmist said, create in me. That word is the Hebrew word, barah. It's the word that's used in Genesis chapter 1 where God spoke light out of nothing. Create in me a clean heart. And we can say with the psalmist that in Jesus, God has created a clean heart. It's called being born again. And the question is, friend, do you have a new heart? Do you have the light of Jesus in you? Have you been born from above, born again, have a regenerated heart, cleansed in the washing of the past and guilt, and made alive in Jesus by His Spirit? Has the life of Jesus been implanted inside you? And you are connected to the life-giving supply of the vine by being joined as a branch to the flowing sap of the Holy Spirit. Is that true? And friends, if that is true, God only does one transplant. There is no going back. There is no in and out. A regenerated heart is always a regenerated heart. There is no uh, loss of a new heart. There might be times in your life where you may exhibit more and more of the deadness of what you were in the past. And that's why Jesus calls us to repent of that and live up to our true identity as a new creation. But I want to tell you that God, the Spirit, does one heart transplant, one surgery, and makes you born new forever. Have you been born of water in the Spirit? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto you, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Friend, if you have not received the Lord Jesus Christ, you do not have the life of Jesus in you, you have not been born again, then today is the day to heed God's call. You may not have another opportunity. Yesterday we uh, had a benefit supper for Lorraine's grandnephew who one day had been on the side of his bike and was talking to a friend and in an instant was sent into eternity as he was hit by a truck. Life is short. And God has given us opportunity to turn to His call, repent and believe. But I want to tell you, the new birth, the regenerated life, regenerated heart, is not something you can do for yourself. It's something you must fall on your face and ask God's mercy to do in you. Lord, give me a new heart. If that's you this morning, please speak to me after the service. I'll be up here at the front. But perhaps there's believers here who say, wow, I haven't thought about this. What God has done in me is a supernatural miracle. I want to tell you that that new heart, the Holy Spirit living inside of you, He's there to keep you going. 
He's not there just to save you and say, okay, you're good. But He's there to keep you ticking for Him. And He promises that He who has begun a good work in you will complete it. And He has given you a personal companion, the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, to live inside of you and to keep you conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Perhaps you need prayer, then come down to the front this morning after the message and speak with me as well. We'll have a word of prayer together. Let's pray. Father, we do want to ask that You would do the work of the Spirit that You promised to do. I pray that there would be dead hearts this morning who are raised to life again. Lord, I pray that uh, believers here would be uh, empowered in the miracle of the new birth and what You've done for them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.